Welcome to This is the Author, where authors talk about narrating their audiobooks. In this episode, meet journalists Eileen Zimmerman, Connor Darty, and Sierra Crane Murdoch. Go behind the mic with these authors and hear what it was like for them to bring their intensely researched, timely, and thought-provoking work to their audiobooks. Enjoy. Hi, this is Eileen Zimmerman, and I am the author of Smacked, a story of white-collar ambition, addiction, and tragedy. The seed for this book was planted when I decided to write a story about what happened to my ex-husband, Peter, who was a very prominent lawyer in San Diego, but died an IV drug addict at 51 years old, and I found him, and we had children together. I wrote a story for the New York Times about drug use and abuse in the legal profession, and from that, decided to write a memoir about what happened to Peter and how it affected our family and do some research into white-collar drug use and abuse. Narrating a book is a lot harder than I thought it would be. I thought it would be just kind of sitting in front of a microphone reading, but there's a lot more that goes into it. I had a great director and producer who really helped me figure out how to read in a way that would be compelling to listeners, and I found it actually a lot more exhausting than I thought I would. It's a lot of hard work. There are so many words or phrases I didn't know how to pronounce. There were quite a few people's names that had to be looked up and listened to. A few of the drug names, their chemical names are hard to pronounce, and actually had a little trouble with some words that I feel embarrassed and should have known, like pedagogy, which I'm still saying wrong. I... I'm proudest of my narration of the chapter where I tell my children about their father's death because I was able to really kind of relive it in a way by talking about it. And even though that's hard, I also really want to communicate how difficult that was on so many levels for so many people that were there that day. And being able to be the one to narrate it means I kind of controlled how it was delivered to the listener, and that was really important to me because it was such a personal event in my life. So my dream narrator would be Julia Whelan because I love the book she narrates and know she would have probably done a wonderful job with my book. The last audiobook I listened to was Circe by Madeline Miller, which is fantastic. And I generally listen to books when I am walking. I do kind of a power exercise walk when I can, or on the subway, or when I'm in the car. Anytime that I can't read with my eyes, I read with my ears. And now listen to a clip. It's a warm spring afternoon, and I am riding the 165 bus from northern New Jersey into midtown Manhattan, a long and nauseating drive. I'm heading to an appointment with a recruiter named Peter, at Adam Personnel on 44th Street, in the hope he can help me find a job. A few months earlier, I was laid off from my first post-college job as an administrative assistant at CBS News in the election and survey unit. The domino effect was swift. Not being able to pay rent meant leaving the apartment a friend and I had been renting near my alma mater, Rutgers University, and moving back to my mother's house in northern New Jersey. Hi, this is Connor Doherty, author of Golden Gates Fighting for Housing in America. I was inspired by reporting on another story, which is often how I end up with my stories. 
I'm doing something else and I get more interested in something different. And I was talking to Jeremy Stoppelman at the time I was covering technology for the New York Times. And he said that he had given $10,000 to this housing activist person who ran a group called BARF. Now, I thought of Jeremy Stoppelman as being this, you know, rich CEO of a publicly traded company and, you know, very serious. And I did not think of an organization called BARF as being serious. I had covered housing for years and technology was just almost like this brief interlude that I covered for like six months. And I knew from talking to all sorts of economists for a long time that NIMBYism was this huge and growing national problem. And I had actually written a couple stories about it. But one of the things that frustrated me about those stories was that they were always these kind of research stories where it was like economists say or this study shows and just never really had the kind of substance you want to have in a story where you just have people doing things and bring passion to an issue and really demonstrate to you that this is a serious problem that people will spend serious time on. So I said to Jeremy, I want to meet this barf person. So I met Sonia one afternoon at a cafe in Rockridge, and she walked in in acid wash jeans and a snakeskin belt and this, you know, fluorescent thing and showed up driving this orange Crown Victoria car, like an old cop car that had little flecks of glitter on it. So we got to talking and I started following her around and watching her, you know, do all this stuff at board of supervisors meetings and all these people she was bringing to these meetings. It was showing me that this NIMBY problem I'd been reading about for 10 years was just really starting to attract some serious attention and that young people were just absolutely enraged with the cost of rent. So that was pretty much my inspiration that led me down this rabbit hole. But of course, you know, from that initial inspiration is a lot of perspiration where you start to ask yourself, okay, well, these are some young millennial kind of professionals who are moving to San Francisco for jobs and usually have pretty good employment prospects and decent incomes. What's it like to be a much lower income tenant and someone who's you know, really facing serious eviction and potential homelessness? And so it just led me to every corner of this problem. I spent several months following these tenants through their eviction. I spent four days at a homeless encampment. Probably should have spent more, but it got cleared out by Oakland Police Department, which was a horrible thing to see. It was hard to actually write the book because I was reporting so hard. And every single time I finished something, it just opened up so many more questions and so many more avenues I wanted to go down. I would start each chapter thinking, I have plenty to do, this is great, but what am I going to write next? Oh my God, I don't even know. And then, of course, by the end of that chapter, I had you know a thousand new things I wanted to do. And the book probably could have been three or four times the length, but I didn't really want it to be. The one word I would use to describe recording this audiobook would be illuminating. I do read out loud a lot. I find that reading out loud is pretty much the most essential way to get typos. So I actually do listen and read my own writing a lot. But to sit down and just read it continuously over several days and really go through the pronunciation of each sentence, it just really gives you a sense of the rhythm of your writing, what words you used too much. There are parts that you're reading you think, oh, I wish I could go back and edit that. You start to understand yourself and the things you're good at, the things you're bad at, the things you do too much the things you forgot to do. I felt like I learned so much, even after I didn't think I had anything more to learn. I realized I had trouble pronouncing everything in Spanish. <laughs> I don't speak Spanish. I've learned a few words here and there. 
But I worked extensively with a translator and some other people during the reporting of the story and in the transcriptions after. So it was really difficult and humbling to even say just the few words of Spanish I put in the book. I know I've butchered it, and I'm sure some listeners will close their eyes in shame as I go through those words. But I thought it was important in the text to put a couple Spanish phrases in there to at least try to capture how pretty much all these tenant conversations I went to were pretty much exclusively in Spanish. And this is the words that they were using when they were describing what was happening to them. They're all recorded, so those are the phrases people were using when they were talking about their fears about their neighborhoods, fears about their kids. And while I wasn't going to do the book in Spanish or anything, or even this section in Spanish, I thought it was important to capture a few of those phrases in the text. And saying them was, you know, not very flattering for me, but I thought important to the story. So I hope I did my best. Other than that, most of the rest was just anything that was alliterative or had a lot of R's. I thought that that was hard. Tenants' rights movement. There were a lot of places where I just felt like I was stacking sounds like a bad stage actor or something. Also, there are a number of words that you will write sometimes, but don't actually say very much. As a rule, I actually do try to avoid those words. I'm not a real $5 word kind of person, but there were a couple. So one is prescient. A lot of people say prescient. So saying prescient felt a little funny, but you know, generally speaking, I think Aside from the Spanish, it was just slowing down and trying to say the sentences in a nice measured pacing, and things were generally easier once I did that. The thing I'm proudest about in my narration isn't really so much the narration, it's that I read it more or less how it sounded in my mind. It wasn't perfect. There were definitely plenty of sentences and paragraphs that sounded a little clunkier than I thought. But for the most part, I was able to kind of keep a rhythm that was very similar to the rhythm that I had in my brain when I was you know, editing it. You're never gonna be perfect in writing, but when you can read something and it sounds sort of like it was supposed to sound in your head, it feels like you've come somewhat close to closing that gap in your mind. I don't think I could have discovered that until I was narrating it and really trying to bring out the story with life to it. And so it was less that I was proud of the narration and more proud that it was all coming together sort of how I wanted it to. I'm excited for listeners to hear the different tones, and I hope my voice captured that. I think the story has a lot of different emotions to it. Sometimes it's kind of funny. Sometimes it's kind of outrage-inducing. Sometimes it's kind of sad. Sometimes it's kind of brainy and wonky. And I think even though you kind of want your story to have as much momentum as possible. Sometimes you do need to slow down and kind of deliver those other things because they give the more propulsive parts of the story their momentum. I'm excited for listeners to hear the very different characters and the very different situations and the very different ways that their housing situations make you feel. And I hope that comes across in the narration as well as the writing. If I wasn't going to record my audiobook, I would cast some newscaster person. I think that somebody who had that kind of narrative but also emotional voice would bring a journalistic lens to this, and that is what I really hope people feel. I don't think I would want somebody who was a hardcore actor 
because then I think that the stories would leave their journalistic distance. And so, you know, you could kind of take your pick, someone like Anderson Cooper or Lester Holt or one of those people. But I will also say, if it wasn't me, I would probably prefer a female narrator because most of the quotes are women. So it might sound better when you kind of move into that character voice part. But I guess the reason I chose myself was that the paragraphs that are more expository and just kind of really get you through the story, I kind of know how to read them and where the kind of invisible commas are and stuff like that. And so I wanted to bring that, for lack of a better term, kind of music or rhythm to it. And I was the kind of the only one who knew how I wanted that. I listen to audiobooks constantly and have all the expert badges on Audible and everything. And I would say that I like so many different books, but if I had to pick one, I once heard Diane Keaton read Joan Didion's Slouching Towards Bethlehem, and it was the best, most magical experience I've had listening to a book ever. The reason it was so special isn't just that she was a great narrator and it really brought the stories out. It's that Joan Didion is such an icon and a California author and a very important person to this state that I love so much. And hearing Diane Keaton, it almost seemed like she was inhabiting her character as she was writing. So the performance really was a performance in that it felt like she was being a character rather than reading a story. And for personal essays like that, journalistic, but still with a bit of first person in them, and certainly the author's voice, more than any other performance I've ever heard, it felt like I was in another place transported, and that was something that was very singular. My favorite place to listen to audiobooks, like most people, is when I'm on the go. This is an expensive habit, but I frequently use both an audiobook and a print book. I don't really use a Kindle. I frequently am listening on BART, which is the Bay Area Rapid Transit here in the Bay Area, or when I'm walking to BART, and a little bit in the car, but I don't really drive. So on the weekends, I will drive to go some places sometimes. I guess I would say my favorite place is when I'm on a long drive, but that's very infrequent. I listened to Bad Blood by John Carew in two sittings to LA and back. I thought that was really, really fun but I don't get that opportunity as much. I got into listening to books on tape, and I still call them books on tape, when they were literally books on tape. I'm from the Bay Area, and I went to UC San Diego in 1995. My dad gave me an audio book, a book on tape. It was Atlas Shrugged, an abridged version. I don't listen to abridged versions, but that was the one he gave me. And I listened to it on the way down, and I guess I must have listened to it after because it was too long to listen to in just the eight-hour drive. And I just got addicted. And at first I would borrow them from him a bunch because they were quite expensive. And then I started buying books on CD later. I lived in LA for a while and I would always listen to LA Murder Mysteries, Walter Mosley. I listened to the Easy Rollins series. I tried to kind of listen to books that had to do with the place where I was. So books on tape, books on CDs, I've been a part of my reading experience since I was 18 years old in 1995. And now listen to a clip from the audiobook. If you asked a stadium full of people to close their eyes and imagine what the American dream means to them, a large percentage of the crowd would be thinking of a home. Different homes, no doubt. 
A ranch house in the suburbs? A 40th floor condominium in Manhattan? A one-bedroom apartment in a new country where the kids will get a shot that the parents never had? A home is rarely just a roof over our heads. It's a roof in a bright city, or a neighborhood near work and family, close to a freeway or train stop, with parks and a stretch of water, maybe a street full of shops and restaurants. A good school, a field to plow, a welcoming church, a Sunday drum circle. Home is a private space, and yet it's the community of work and social life that determines where we want it. It's the dream of being as close as possible to the lives we wish to have. Hi, my name's Sierra Crane Murdoch. My book is Yellowbird, Oil, Murder, and a Woman's Search for Justice in Indian Country. So when I first started working on Yellowbird as a book, I'd actually already been going to the place where the book is based, which is the Fort Berthold Indian Reservation in North Dakota, for almost three and a half years. And I'd been going there to report on the Bakken oil boom, which had arrived around 2009, 2010. And in that period of time that I'd been visiting had completely transformed that place and the state of North Dakota in general. I had gone back because I wanted to investigate the disappearance of this young oil worker from the reservation. And in the process of investigating that disappearance, I met Lissa Yellowbird, who's the protagonist of the book, And she was so dynamic. She had this really interesting and kind of unsettling backstory. And she also had just gotten out of prison a few years earlier when she started searching for Casey Clark, the missing oil field worker. And she had kind of become obsessed with finding him as a way to distract herself and keep herself sober. So I kind of dove in with her as she was still searching for him, and it was through the time that I spent with her that I assembled this story. Okay, well, if there was one word I could use to describe recording my audiobook, it would be endurance. (laughs) I really liked that aspect of it, actually. I felt like I had to hold my body in this position for a very long period of time. And I've never been so attentive to how my vocal cords feel in my life. So it was fun. I realized I had a lot of trouble pronouncing the word terrorist. That sounded better there. Also, like, combinations of words. Like, there's a character in the book named Trudel, and every time I had to say, to Trudel, it felt like a tongue tire. I think I'm most excited that listeners of this audiobook will get to hear it in my own voice as the author. I went back and forth as to whether or not I wanted to narrate it myself. I didn't know if I could pull it off. When I write, I say sentences aloud to myself before I put them on paper. And so I had a sense for the rhythm of the book And also, it just feels deeply personal, personal both for me and for my main character, Lissa Yellowbird. And I kind of felt that I sort of had a responsibility to tell the story myself. Also, I had practiced reading it aloud before, 
because before I sent the book to press, I actually brought it to Lissa because I wanted her to read the book. And she said, Sierra, I have a terrible attention span. There's no way. Have you ever seen me sit down and read a book before? She said, well, you can read it to me. So I flew out and met up with her. And I arrived at like 10 o'clock at night, and we were sharing a hotel room. And I pulled out her copy of the book, and she like grabbed it and laid down on her bed. And she just read it until 4 a.m., and she finished the entire book. So I didn't actually have to read it to her. But then I went back and read it to her a second time when I'd done some editing, and then also to several of her family members. I think my dream narrator would actually be Louise Erdrich, the novelist. I've listened to a few of her audiobooks that she narrates herself, and she's so good at reading her own books. And she writes about kind of similar territory where I've been writing and working, so she has familiarity with it. The last amazing audiobook I listened to was Lost Children Archive by Valeria Luiselli. It's just a beautiful novel. I cried a lot listening to it. And then also Valeria Luiselli just has this amazing voice as the narrator. It's so slow and it feels like you're listening to music when you listen to her voice. I listen to audiobooks when I'm driving across the country. So to write Yellowbird, I ended up driving back and forth to North Dakota from wherever I was living throughout those five years. I would just listen to audiobooks as I was like crossing the Nevada desert or going through Montana mountain passes. And now here's a clip from the audiobook. After Lissa wrote to Clark's mother on June 2nd, 2012, she heard nothing. June passed, then July. In early August, Lissa drove to the Spirit Lake Indian Reservation, 150 miles northwest of Fargo, where she danced in her first sun dance, an annual religious ceremony that originated among tribes in the Great Plains. This is the Author is a production of Penguin Random House Audio. Thank you for listening. For more behind-the-mic content and audiobook recommendations, visit www.penguinrandomhouseaudio.com slash next listen.